1: 213- 401 80 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24 365 And welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the x comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network, x Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, Star Cable, and our growing family of broadcast affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at com, And our website, com. This hour is a tribute to Dick Clark. If it wasn't for Dick Clark, a lot of the mainline musicians in this world today would not have received their start or the popularity that they have When we opened the show, we played uh, two clips, one from CBS Morning and one from CNN. And in the CNN clip, you heard Carly Simon and Peter Frampton discussing the professional side of Dick Clark. When I come back from this two-minute commercial break, we're going to have an entire segment dedicated to Dick Clark with none other than our very good friend Elizabeth Joyce, who is going to tell us a personal side of Dick Clark and why she knows this personal side. Once again, this hour dedicated to one of the greatest broadcasters that has ever graced the uh, television airwaves, and without whom New Year's Eve will never be the same. We're talking about Dick Clark, who passed away earlier this week. Elizabeth Joyce is our special guest, and if you'd like to contact Elizabeth, For a one-on-one consultation, the telephone number is 201-934-8986 and her website, www.new-visions.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon, and we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with Elizabeth Joyce talking about the one and only Dick Clark. Don't go away. Yeah, life is a highway for some people. It's a one-way street with two-way traffic. Welcome back to The x My name is Robin Connell. Elizabeth Joyce is our special guest, www.new-visions.com. And if you'd like to call Elizabeth for a one-on-one consultation, 201-934-8986. And of course, this hour is dedicated to the memory of Dick Clark. And Elizabeth, first of all, thanks very much for joining us. And you had a very personal relationship with the late Dick Clark.
2: I met Dick Clark when he was 28 years old, and I was 15 on American Bandstand. Wow.
1: But, you know, We how... were
2: very lucky. We were very lucky and blessed to be on the show. Uh, we were identical twins,
3: mm-hmm.
2: my sister and I. And my older sisters uh, were also identical twins, and they were known for being the Tony twins on television. They did the commercials with Arthur Goffrey and Sid Caesar and Jack Gleason. They did Which Twin Has the Tony? But back then, they did live commercials. And so when we went to the Dick Clark show, uh, some of the police that were guarding it uh, said, oh, they're twins, they would be great on the air, and they pulled us in backstage, and we got to know everybody.
1: How long did you, uh, did you and Dick Clark uh, have a, a friendship?
2: The last time I talked to Dick Clark was just before he had his stroke in 204, but mm-hmm. then I would continue, and I would speak with Carrie to check on how he was doing. I guess I called the studio about every eight months or at least twice a year to keep up with it but when he came to Philadelphia I always was uh, able to see him and shortly before he had his stroke I think it was around 2003 I had gone through a lot of my scrapbooks and my dancing memorabilia and I took him down some terrific pictures that I had personally taken of Arlene Sullivan and Paul Anka and Annette Funuccello and Kenny Rossi. And these pictures were really great, um, black and whites. And I gave them to him. He was very pleased because he had not seen them before.
1: What are some of your fondest memories of Dick Clark?
2: Well, my very fondest memories is um, he had a Saturday night. It was called the Ithac Show. It was uh, brought to you by the Spearman Gum people. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a party show planned in Atlantic City. And we went down there. I was down there with my family, and I went to the party after the show, and that's where I met Bobby Darren. Wow. I, w- I was 15, 16 when I met Bobby Darren. And it was uh, an incredible time.
1: When you met these people, Dick Clark and Bobby Darren and Annette Punicello and the others, did you have any idea? Well, you must have, since you're a very intuitive person, What kind of con- uh, what kind of effect they were going to have on the music world.
2: I did. You know, I used to sneak in to see Bobby. My mother thought he was too old because he was in his 20s at the time. Mm-hmm. I used to take the train into New York City and meet them at a restaurant. And we'd sit around. Let's see, it was Carol King, Bobby Rydell, Bobby Darren, Frankie Avalon, Neil Sedaka, wow. and a few others. Um, oh, Frankie Valley, too. And we were all wondering when we were going to get famous. I remember Carol King wondering when she was going to get famous. Nobody had had their real hit yet, but it was all starting. It was at the very, very beginning. One of my biggest thrills was being backstage when Johnny Mercer and Bobby Darin made their album together. What a combination. It was so magnetic. And they sang Ace in the Hole. I don't know if you've ever heard that oh, one. No, no, I don't The two of them know. did a duet. It was so spontaneous and so fabulous.
1: As a As someone who has the abilities to see into the future as you do, Did you ever talk to Dick about his passing and how it would occur? No.
2: I never invaded that part of my life with Dick Clark because it just didn't seem appropriate. I did know he was going to do well, and I remember when he was pulled in for the payola. I remember being very angry that they were trying to make him dishonest, and I really prayed at that time. This was during the McCarthy era, and Mm -hmm. they were having him, He had to choose between having the recording companies or having bandstand, and he chose bandstand. But let me tell you something about Dick. Dick Clark was so amazing that his production company had a television show on every single station when he was on, at the same time, simultaneously. Mm. And uh, he had problems with the Grammy Awards because they didn't really want to have him be a part of it, so he started the American Music Awards. Mm Mm-hmm. And he, has, he did so much for people and so much for everybody. And he was continually doing something new, which is why they probably called him the youngest teenager. He was continually bringing in a new idea, something new, and it would be successful. Extremely powerful. Very shrewd businessman. Knew what he was doing.
1: I remember, had, I remember last him. year you coming on the show and, and foretelling his passing this year.
2: I did. Yeah. I did say he was going to go this year. Well, of course, I would I would know that, um, Rob, because I, I felt so close to him. And uh, it's going to be a very sad time. Do you know that he took over from Guy Lombardo? No, I do. And Guy Lombardo did New Year's Eve since the middle of the 40s. Wow. So that's who we've had Guy Lombardo and then Dick Clark.
1: I understand that you had a special relationship with Bobby Darren.
2: I did. I did. Uh, Bobby Darren and I were friends over the years. Uh, I met him, uh, as I said, in Atlantic City and and Mm -hmm. we just talked and visited and I went into New York to see him on occasion all through my life. uh, I stopped communicating with him after he married Sandra Dee. The calls became less and less, but maybe once a year, once every 18 months we'd catch up. So he was always there. He wanted me to come to Vegas and he wanted me Mm -hmm. to be a singer. But,
1: of course, my parents wouldn't allow it. On your blog at www.new-visions.com, you've got quite a quite an extensive article on Dick Clark. And uh, why well, I asked you about Bobby Darin? you he wrote here in the fall of 1958, Bobby called me and told me he was working on a new song. I'm writing about you, Dreamboat, Bobby said, and I've really got a good feeling about it. The tempo is kind of cha-cha or the new calypso dance uh, you're doing on bandstand. Every time I hear it, I want you to think about me thinking about you. Then he began the song. Every night I hope and pray a dream lover will come my way. A girl to hold in my arms, know the magic of her charms. Because I want the girl to call my own, I want a dream to a dream lover so I don't have to dream alone. So you're the inspiration behind Dream Lover.
2: Well, you know, I, I would like to feel that I would, but I don't want to have a big ego. I think Doc Bobby was a charmer, but it was wonderful for him to share that with me, and he was writing it. And I don't know how many other people he said that to also is what I'm trying to say, but yes, that was a very special time.
1: Let's take a listen very, to it for a second.
2: And uh, I know I was the inspiration to Max Knight.
1: Okay, hold on. here.
0: I hope and pray,
1: <laughs> a dream lover will come my way.
3: Girl to hold in my arms and know the magic of her charms, cause I want yeah, yeah, yeah. A girl.
1: It seems that uh, throughout rock and roll history, women are the inspiration for a lot of the greatest uh, hits and a lot of the greatest artists. Uh, For example, we had uh, the Peggy Sue that Buddy Holly sung about on our show Mm -hmm. last year. Uh, And uh, do ladies really know what kind of inspiration they actually give a person?
2: I, I probably would not have at that age because I was very young. So maybe later on we do, but I don't think at that age it was a very tender, innocent time with Bobby. I remember when he did Mac the Knife. I was very excited about that. As a matter of fact, he sent me the album. Mac uh, the Knife? It was 1958, I believe, when he was doing the album and he sent it to me. We talked over the phone because I believed back then in my music training, which I had extensively, that you had to do something that was a classic.
1: Alright, let's t- let's you take too. a listen to uh, Mac the knife for a sec. Has old Maggie baby and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that sharp So while you were hanging around uh, all these great personalities who later would rise to stardom, did they ever ask you to give them a reading?
2: No, I wasn't doing that kind of work then. I was just discovering that I had those powers. I didn't really go into the work until I was in my 20s, 30s, and by that time, this era had passed. But he picked up on it. Bobby picked up on it. I tried to explain it in the book. He said, you have, um, you have an, an intuition. And people would tell me that, but I never connected it to the deep spiritual work that I do now until I became older and could study with them people that helped me with it.
1: Let me ask you to do something that I don't think people ask you, uh, is is to look backwards in time. And and there you were, young girl, and you were sitting amongst your friends who turned out to be some of the greatest stars in in the music industry that we've ever known. Looking back, how do you feel?
2: I feel terrific. You know, I went to see Polanka um, maybe five or six years Mm -hmm. ago. And I had no idea whether he would remember me or not, because I used to see him at the airport. And I told him, I told backstage that I was out front, and he came out, and he had me come up front, and he introduced me as one of the bandstand twins, and he did a whole segment about wow. Bobby Darren. It was fabulous. I didn't know if you knew that Paul did that in his shows.
1: Mm, Paul Anka, a great Canadian from Ottawa, Ontario.
2: Wonderful man. Yeah. Wonderful man. He adored Bobby. Dick Clark loved Bobby Darren by the way. And every time I would see Dick he'd go, There's Bobby's girl <laughs> And he'd laugh. He did. He he really loved Bobby Darren and I had promised Bobby that every time I saw Paulie or, or Dick that I would tell them that he was always caring about them and I do. When I see them they and Frankie Valley too. I remember being over at Frankie Valley's house when he <laughs> lived in New Jersey. And we sat and reminisced and went into the past about the the New York lunches that we had and Bobby Darren. And he was Bobby Darren was great. He he lost faith in himself later on, though. He he was so from such a poor. Bronx family, I think it was hard for him to accept it, what he really had achieved, and I don't think he really realized what he had achieved.
1: Elizabeth, stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exo we're talking to Elizabeth Joyce. Her website is wwwnew She has a wonderful article about uh, Dick Clark and the, and the wonderful people that she had the pleasure and was blessed enough to meet wwwnew is her website. And Dexon if you'd like to call Elizabeth for a one-on-one consultation. 201-934-8986. We'll be back after the news. Don't go away.
0: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network. Broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media,
1: Welcome back, everyone. My name is Rob McCall. This is The Exxon. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. 1-800-610-7035. Worldwide toll-free. Email exxon at TV.com. On MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com. And our website, TV.com. Elizabeth Joyce is my special guest to this hour. We're talking about her life with the stars and, uh, you know, at an early age she was blessed and I think fate must have had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, she met Dick Clark, she uh, became good friends with a lot of the greats in the rock and roll, um, how would we say it, the the beginning of the rock and roll historical charts here in North America, including Bobby Darren. And uh, Elizabeth, I understand Bobby was very excited one day because he actually got to meet George Burns.
2: He did. Not only did he meet George Burns, but he worked with him in Las Vegas for several years. Um, he, he was thrilled to whoever would have thought that Bobby Darin would open mm-hmm. for George Burns, and that's what he did in uh, Las Vegas. That's when he left the area, and then he went on to California from there. But it's amazing that the way that it works with people, with every person. You know, some of the most famous people do not realize the impact that they have on others. And that's why, like, the paparazzi can be so hurtful sometimes. I don't like the paparazzi, but they don't realize how the little people really do look up to them. And it's hard to fill the shoes of what is being projected onto mm-hmm. you because you're another human being. That's one thing I learned when I worked in aviation. And after I met the stars, I worked in aviation and um, all their aircraft we handled. So I continued my friendships with many of them in that way. But you learn that a person is a person, and we're all the same, and that some people have talents and some people have other talents, and you respect it that way, so that you don't get carried away with this worshiping. Do you they think... didn't understand it; they were just people.
1: Do you think that fate had its hand in what in the meetings that you had with these with these people, uh, Bobby Darren, Dick Clark, and, and the others?
2: Well, yes I do. I, I wish that I had got into show business. That is one of my life regrets. I, I never did. However, I think that fate has a hand in everybody that we meet, Rob. Mm-hmm. I think that my meeting you is fate. And I think that if I'm going down uh, into the supermarket and an old woman is struggling with her groceries and I help her get them into the car, that that's fate. So I think that it helps us in many, many ways. It was a wonderful time. My sister and I had problems uh, in high school with the kids, and we weren't the most popular. And we went to Bandstand, and it helped strengthen us as people. It helped us meet new friends. It helped us feel accepted. It helped us to grow, and it helped us become more centered. So that's a blessing itself.
1: It seems uh, from what I remember of uh, American Bandstand that Dick Clark was the, the first electronic babysitter.
2: I guess so, because because it was on from 2.30 until 5, and mm -hmm. the kids just loved it. But we didn't have everything that people have today. We didn't have the VCRs. We didn't have the iPhones. We didn't have the DVDs. When I got my allowance, it was enough to buy french fries and a record every Saturday. That was my Saturday.
1: Well, I, I remember as a kid, we used to get a quarter a day. Uh, when mm-hmm. mom and dad worked to uh, keep the house clean, do the yard chores, and that yes. quarter was for my brother and I to go swimming in the swimming pool in the town.
2: <laughs> well, I had to have yeah. my records, and I I did the same for my children. The two things that they thank me for, one is for giving them the music knowledge, and two, for buying them their records, because that's one thing they'll always say. My, my one son, Vance, who's in China now, and he mm-hmm. listens to the show, as you know, remembers when he was about 10 years old and he had been away at camp, and when he came home, I welcomed him with an album by, um, oh my goodness, Elton John, and he was so excited, he couldn't believe I had the brand new (laughs) album by Elton John waiting for him when he came home. So that's what I would do. (laughs) And it was because of Dick Clark, and it was because of my exposure to music Mm -hmm. and all the people that I met and loved.
1: We tried to get the clip from American Idol uh, that uh, Ryan Seacrest did a, a wonderful and very touching tribute to Dick Clark yesterday, who was his personal mentor. So, um, you know, there's so many people whose lives were touched by Dick Clark, not only those of us who watched him on his on American bandstand or or actually had some association with Dick Clark during the uh, New Year's Eve blast uh, that that used to originate from. That does originate, I should say, from Times Square. But the many people in the media, as well as many of the megastars today, who he touched, and uh, you know, this man has been such an influence in so many people's lives that I, I can't think of one person that's ever had anything negative to say about him.
2: Well, he was he was very shrewd, and he started the game shows. Of course, he. Mm-hmm. He started the Pyramid, what was it, the Powerful Pyramid, I don't remember the Million title, Dollar Pyramid, yeah. Yeah, the Million Dollar Pyramid, well, yeah. and he started all those mm-hmm. game shows, and he, he and Ed McMahon did work together, yeah. and then he had that other show on, on one of the cable channels about
1: bandstand. He certainly did a lot. Recently. and so So tell me, where do you think Dick Clark is right now?
2: I think he's processing. It takes time. Um, I believe in processing after death that we go through our life with our guides, and then we process, and then we go to our soul school and do whatever we do over there. We have our assignments. But I totally believe that he's on the other side. I totally believe he's in a high place. I think he's just looking at his life, and maybe he, for the first time he's realizing how many hearts he did touch because they're all praying up to him, and he's going to get that energy, I'm sure.
1: He will be sadly missed by many, many, many people, and I know that he's going to be in your heart and your prayers forever.
2: You know, his wife was a wonderful woman. Her name is Carrie, and she was so gracious and so kind to everybody. And she, when he would be talking to somebody and we'd wait to um, see him. She'd come over and talk Mm -hmm. to us and say, he's only going to be a few minutes, and she'd talk to us, and it would make us feel better. But do you know, I went, Dick Clark sent me Mm -hmm. Federal Express airplane tickets and tickets to the 40th anniversary show in California in 1992. And I flew out there, and I reunited with with Frankie Avalon and Bo Diddley and Donnie Osman and Greg Allman and Max Bayer, they all were with me. I took my foster daughter who was going to Pepperdine at the time. We had a fabulous time. And he looked at me that night and he looked at me and he said, you know, this is going to be the last one I do. Wow. And it was. He knew it. At that time, he was telling me about a lot of the um, dance and memorabilia that he had mm-hmm. that he was uh, giving over to a museum. So he was in the process of doing that back then. And he—it he, was great. It was a great time. They—they they have that video, I believe, uh, on YouTube. You can watch it.
1: Hmm. Uh, you know, having talked about Dick Clark, Bobby Darin, uh, Frankie Valli, and and some of the other greats, and. You know over the last few days, hearing the hearing the way that people talk about dick clark he's he's on the other side, and as you said, he's going to be processing. Will he be coming back in in, in reincarnate state? Uh,
2: well, I believe that everybody reincarnates as a matter of fact, when you hear Whitney Houston sing, and you hear um some of these singers that have these fabulous voices, you wonder if they were voices of people from the past I know that there's uh, some opera singers that are coming up now and they're saying they're reincarnated Joan Sutherland or something like that so it's interesting to to wonder if somebody sounds like somebody of old like an old Al Jolson or he sounds like Frank look at Harry Connick Jr. and how much he sounds like Frank Sinatra you wonder if if that's what happens But yes, everybody does reincarnate. I know people don't believe that. But a part of their energy goes into a new body.
1: Do you have anything that you can tell us about the future? Uh, You know, like now that we've talked about the great Dick Clark and let's go from the past to the future. Are are there any predictions that you can give our listeners for the months and year to come?
2: Well, I do think we're going to be going through some trying times. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, concerned about... The politics and what's going on overseas, I do see some problems with countries coming together to harm Israel more. I see the top powers changing, and you know I don't see Obama on the ticket, so I yeah. think there's a problem with him and you know it's funny how I worried about whether he was going to be assassinated or not last year? Do you know he had just had two very powerful attempts on his life, so that's continual. I did say that Hillary was going to split from him, and she's starting to withdraw.
1: You know, it, it's and, funny because, you know, you, when when uh, the news broke that the Secret Service and uh, members of the armed forces were facing yes. disciplinary action for their uh, most questionable professional uh, ethics, you know, you're the first person I thought of. I said, God, if they're, if they're this lax and if they're not taking their job serious seriously enough, maybe there is a loophole and an opening for somebody to take advantage of the the lack in security.
2: Well, I hate to tell you this, but the Secret Service have always been that way. I had a lot of uh, interactions with them at Atlantic Aviation in Chitaboro Airport, and everybody was fun-loving. Everybody wasn't taking any—actually, they're wonderful guys. I can't put them down, but mm-hmm. they always had an, a roving eye. That's what I thought. That was my impression. But they are wonderful people, and they know their work very well.
1: So after the election in November, who's going to be the president of the United States?
2: I'm not sure. Um, If it's it's Obama and Romney, then I feel that Romney will win very closely. Mm It will be a very, very tight race. Let me just say that then, because I'm not sure that that's what it's going to be, but it's one of two. So I'll say that uh, Romney would would win over him, and it would be very, very close. I also want to tell you that there will be a lot of of vote tampering, and that they're going to try to uh, get a handle on that, because they're concerned about this vote tampering.
1: Why is it that people who are able to use their God-given gifts like yourself to to foretell what is happening in the front, when it comes to something like a presidential election in November, you can't give me an exact answer?
2: Because I can tell you exactly why. Spiritually speaking, Mm -hmm. you really can't give anybody an exact answer until a decision has been made, Rob. Until there is an action that has been made. I see tremendous upset in June Mm -hmm. I see tremendous upset in September I don't know what the result is going to be and nobody does they can say that they do and they're either going to be right or wrong if they're right they're going to be famous if they're wrong they're going to be put down so I have such a respect for decisions that if I put something out there that's a definite I could be changing the energy and I don't want to change it to negative energy I can tell you that I think Hillary might run and that she might win I can tell you that it's because the others get killed. But why would I want to say that?
1: Because I, I, if I understand you correctly, what you're actually saying is that you could actually change the future by revealing it.
2: It's called putting a thought out there. And the thought is out there as much as... It's like putting a piece of sand on, on a beach.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You, know, you don't know what it's going to do. So I, I've been so trained to be careful not to make a decision to say it's possible that it's possible that and I, I try to abide by it I really do sometimes I don't because sometimes I get excited or I get a feeling of being positive and that's when I'm usually going to be wrong but <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not wrong too often once in a while and it's usually a blessing when I am and, and that's another thing you know when you say that something's going to happen like they're going to blow up the building and then mm-hmm. it doesn't get blown up you get yelled at for being wrong well, did you ever think that maybe somebody intervened because of the prediction and put a stop to it? People don't look at it that way. It's very strange.
1: We've got so about be careful, a, we've careful got a what mi- you think. Right, we've got a minute before I have to go to my uh, final break here. What is the hardest part about being a psychic in today's society?
2: I think the hardest part for me is seeing something and knowing that I can't share it unless I have permission. You have to have permission
1: permission to from who
2: tell another person that you're seeing something about them
1: So who, I, i'm sorry who do you who do you people. who do you need permission from
2: you need it from the other person you need it either from their higher self or for them uh. or for themselves like if i said something to you rob may i share something with you that i just had a vision about and you would say well certainly yeah. And I would say, well, you're going to have some great help. I know that you've been through a hard time or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you're going to say to somebody. Um, but you have to have permission.
1: I see what and you mean.
2: And when, when you get permission, then you can share. I, I didn't used to do that, Rob. I used to just blurt it out. And I had to have training on that. I think a lot of people do because what we're feeling inside is an actual energy. It's energetic and sometimes when people come to me for a reading, I get very excited and very whatever. And, I, and I'll have to stop and take wow. a deep breath and say, do you realize that this is your blessed higher self who wants to speak to you? Well, we're going, going to give you a few minutes
1: to catch your breath because I've got to take my final break. Please stand by, dear. Okay. ExoNation, my good friend Elizabeth Joyce is our guest this hour for a one-on-one consultation. Here's the telephone number, 201-934-8986. Visit her online, wwwnew visions. We'll be back. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Larry Lawson, host of Paranormal Stakeout. With over 36 years in law enforcement, I have learned a few things. The most important is the proper gathering and preservation of evidence is vital to putting the bad guy behind bars. You're listening to the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back, everyone. Elizabeth Joyce is our special guest to this hour. And uh, we've been talking to Elizabeth about her life and times with Dick Clark and uh, also some of the other greats that she's met. Her website is wwwnew visions Dot com That's new-visions.com. And if you'd like to call Elizabeth for a one-on-one consultation, her telephone number is area code two zero one nine eight, I'm sorry, nine three four eight nine eight six. That's two zero one nine three four eight nine eight six. Now, Elizabeth, I know that you're writing your fifth book right now. now what's it all about?
2: Well, I've had a feeling that it was time to tell people what it's like to be psychic, and didn't you just ask me that? Yeah. So I started a book about my life, and I'm calling it Unlimited Realities. And it's from the premise that we all have gifts inside. Mm -hmm. Some of them we tap into, and some of them we don't. And how life has its twists and turns but when you're born with a gift, how it can grow and really help yourself. It's been invaluable to me, but I've always wanted to use it to help others, too. So I'm writing a book about it.
1: When, when and I have a chapter
2: when on <laughs>
1: When will the book be out?
2: I hope to get it finished by the fall. I've got oh. eight good chapters done, and I've got a little bit more to do.
1: Oh, we'll certainly be looking forward to uh, to this book. Um, what, what would you like to leave the members of the Exo Nation with tonight?
2: Well, I wanted to leave them with a couple of things. One person asked me what was my best day on American
1: Bandstand.
2: And, of course, every day on American Bandstand was wonderful. But I do have one memory that will show you about unlimited realities. It was New Year's Day, 1959, I believe. We had just finished 58. And we were dancing on Bandstand to a song that was brand new. It had just come out. And the name of the song was Who's Sorry Now? By Connie Francis. Wow, that's another. Meanwhile, Connie was in New Jersey, sitting at the dining room table with her parents, having the television on in the background, and she had no clue that her father had sent that to Dick Clark. So she jumped up and down, and she was all excited. And I think that was a very special day for me to know that my friend Connie got her record on American Bandstand.
1: Quickly, uh, let our listeners know how they can contact you, my dear.
2: My uh, home phone is two oh one nine three four eight nine eight six, and that's a twenty four hour service. I also have a website which is w dot new dot com.
1: Elizabeth Joyce, thank you very much for being with us and sharing your, your life with Dick Clark and so many others, including Bobby Darren and Frankie Valley. So until the next time we meet, my good friend, take care of yourself.
2: You too, and it's been a pleasure. Hello, Exxon. It's wonderful to talk to you every time I'm here.
1: And, of course, Elizabeth will be joining us in the next couple of weeks as well. Elizabeth Joyce, one more time, wwwnew And for a one-on-one consultation, 201-934-8986. I'll be back on the other side of this uh, commercial break with the news at the top of the hour. At six and a half minutes past as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell. This is the Exo, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.